Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. It is April the 8th, 5.50 in the afternoon, and we're very happy to have with us today Luis Legrado, one of the great Spanish teachers in the United States in Indiana, and Luis is going to be here today to, to give us um, a little heads up on all the new things going on in education and uh, kind of um, a little bit of everything. Louisa, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom, and thank you for inviting me on this afternoon. It's a pleasure to talk to you and your audience. Well, thank you very much. We're glad to have you here. Uh, can you tell the listeners about um, a little bit about yourself, where you studied language, and uh, uh, what uh, got you into the Spanish teaching field? Oh my goodness, we got more time than we need. <laughs> well, I started um, actually studying languages in high school. So I'm a born gringa. Nobody in my family is a Spanish speaker. And um, I studied in Shaker Heights, um, in Eastern community of, Indian, uh, of, excuse me, of Cleveland, Ohio. And um, I studied for five years and then went on to Indiana University. And my major, undergraduate in Spanish literature, and graduated in 1983. But at that time, I was just going because I loved Spanish, not because I wanted to be a teacher. It would take some time before I'd make a decision to become a teacher, but probably one of the most important things I did in discovering that I had the ability to be a teacher was my junior year abroad at, through IU um, in Madrid. So I studied in the Competencia, and during the time when I needed some extra cash, I taught English on the side and in some small institutes. And that's when I realized I had a lot of fun in the classroom. And todavía tienes ese acento madrileño. Intento, sí, señor. Sí, seguro, seguro. Mira, hombre. Sí, No, no, me que se me voy a un wink. Dice, ya fe, Now, tell us a little bit about uh, your current job. Where are you teaching okay. at? Well, currently, for the last three years, I'm back in the high school classroom. I'm in uh, Washington Township on the north side of Indianapolis. And it's uh, our only uh, public school district in Indiana that has an international baccalaureate um, status, rural school district. And so that means that we are doing an inquiry-based program through curriculum in kindergarten through 10th grade. And then we also have the diploma track for the juniors and seniors at the high school level. So uh, as I teach in this part of my career, um, I am in my 29th year of teaching. And this is my 25th year in Washington Township. I spent the first 22 years in West Lane Middle School. So right now I'm currently teaching third year honors and a second year regular class. Now, what about, what about uh, your husband, Tony, Antonio? Now he's, he's a Spanish teacher as well, right? Yes, he is, yeah. Uh, Tony's in a neighboring school district in Lawrence Township and he teaches at Lawrence Central High School and does very well there. He's been there since 1990. And uh, Tony and I met at IU in the Spanish house, and so we became great friends and later decided it was important that we stay friends, and so we got married in 88. And as did uh, myself, and with, I met my wife Jill at uh, IU, Indiana University, in the Spanish department as well, in Valentine Hall. You as well, yes. right? <laughs> Hall. And then only, only later, my son meets his wife in Valentine Hall in the <laughs> Spanish department at Indiana University as well. So there's something about that building, the there Valentine is. Hall, that attracts people. <laughs> it's a weird situation. Um, now, what are your best memories about teaching? Because we, you know, we talk about teaching, and uh, my first question is, why do you like teaching? Wow. 
Well, I like teaching because I love kids. And it doesn't matter if they're middle schoolers or high schoolers. What I really enjoy is just the fact that every day is a new day with them. And building relationships for students who can become productive citizens as adults uh, is my greatest honor to watch them um, grow and really see growth. And teaching Spanish is something you can see very pure evidence that there's growth because they start with little when you begin with them and they can come out doing amazing things and communicating in amazing ways. As far as memories go, um, what I really enjoy over my career is just the opportunities to get students involved, not only in their classroom community, but what they can do outside of the classroom community. Now, you taught uh, middle school and you've taught high school. Mm -hmm. Which is your favorite level, oh middle school God. or high school? <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> Well, 22 years of your teaching career says an awful lot that, that you love what you did with the middle school. And I think that was a period, I started as a high school teacher when I first began in 1990 and thought I'd always be a high school teacher. I thought you had to do high school in order to teach kids the most profound things about Spanish and to get into deeper levels of communicating and being able to teach them literature or teach them about you know solid pieces of culture and be able to do it in the target language. Well, I thought I could also do that with a middle school audience too. Um, but it just took longer, and it took a whole different set of techniques and processes. I, I recall from my brief nine-year uh, stint in middle school, <laughs> which I really enjoyed immensely. I learned an incredible amount about teaching mm -hmm. in the middle school, perhaps more there than any level I ever taught. Yeah, I agree And uh, one of the things I do remember very well was the enthusiasm of the kids. Yeah. And they just love language at that time, the, yeah. the new world language. And, and it, they get excited about it. But as the kids get older in high school, sometimes they lose that edge a little bit. Uh, and I think that's obviously one of the big challenges in high school teaching is to have, them, have the kids keep that edge and, mm -hmm. and that enthusiasm going. Um, so... Um, what about, uh, I know you've gotten some really meaningful teaching awards over your career, uh, and one, one recent award that was really, really a big award. Uh, can you tell the listeners about that? The most recent one or the first one? Well, the first one and, and other ones. You've gotten a lot sure. along the way. Um, I would say probably the one of the most important ones for me was in 2006, where mm -hmm. I was named the Indiana Teacher of the Year. And the reason... That, that was, and for the listeners, that was right. for all disciplines. Right. Not just language. And Louisa that year, I believe, had gotten the uh, Teacher of the Year for the middle school level in Indiana. Yes. And... Uh, and then went on to, to win the highest honor in the state of Indiana. Yeah. It was a remarkable achievement. Well, it starts with your building choosing you as the teacher of the year, and then you go to the district. But I think what also attracts the attention of your principals and those who make the decision mm -hmm. is what you've done in your own profession, in your own content area. So getting teacher of the year through ATSP, Indiana chapter, um, was significant. And going from there to IFLTA. And, and I think Indiana Foreign Language Teacher Association has been a huge impact in my teaching style and the networking and mm -hmm. all the things that I've done to keep myself um, very valid in my skills and being aware of what's up and coming, what's most important, and what we need to be paying attention to, just in general about how we take care of kids. Uh, now, can you tell the listeners about that uh, award? Um uh, that you were nominated for sure. at Central States, which is okay. a big honor, yes. The, uh, in 2017, in November, um, I was chosen as the Indiana Teacher of the Year uh, for foreign languages uh, at all levels, and so that meant that I would then be asked to present at Central States. 
And that took a year and a half because there's a gap time there for Indiana. But that meant that I was uh, competing with eight other states within the conference of central states. And then we were all um, vying for the central states teacher of the year. So I was one of nine finalists. So Louisa has um, uh, earned a lot of awards for her teaching. And as we go along uh, through the program, I hope everybody, the listeners, are paying attention to her ideas, which uh, is really one of the big reasons, too, that she was able to win her honors, that she has very creative, wonderful ideas about teaching world languages. Um, so what countries have you visited? You've visited a lot of Spanish-speaking countries. I, I, I am profoundly with a few very dedicated in my travels. Uh, Spain is my heart as far as Spanish goes. Um, I've also spent quite a bit of time in Puerto Rico and in Mexico. But Spain, I've spent years in. Mm -hmm. But I also would say what's important to me has been studying and traveling through other uh, countries of Romance languages. Um, I've visited uh, Romania, for example, for, on four different occasions to be able to practice my Romanian skills because my best friends are from Romanian and uh, Romania. And we have used our language skills as a bonding mm -hmm. issue for friendship. Um, and amongst us, we have Spanish, French, and Romanian. And so for me, it's been wonderful just to look at language as a whole and how Spanish came to be, how Romanian came to be from Latin. So those countries kind of keep me in Europe just because mm -hmm. of the interest I have. I noticed in, in Madrid, for example, there I seem to always run into quite a few people from Romania mm -hmm. who speak very beautiful Spanish. Yes, they do. And it, it's very similar, I guess, right? I mean, there's some similarities. A lot, enough similarity, especially with the sound system. Yes. Grammar's a little more complicated in Romania. So are you, <laughs> are you able to communicate with Spanish there, I suppose, mm -hmm. probably? Yeah. I, I mean, I use Romanian when I'm in Romania. But the, okay. when I've met people who are living in Romania, or excuse me, in Spain... Uh -huh they pick up the language very quickly because they can recognize the patterns and the, the vocabulary. Um, also, Spain has been a huge refuge for many Romanian families, and so there's been a uh, very well-received community, and so they are mm -hmm. able to survive very well in Spain. Now, you're living where now? You're still in Indianapolis? Yes, I am, yeah. Okay. And uh, you're... Um, you're very active in the world language organizations. What, what's your favorite organization? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I love AETSP because of its focus, of course, being in Spanish. Right. And, and I have to say my beginnings of AETSP actually were with Ohio. When I was studying um, my fourth and fifth year, uh, my endearing Spanish teacher at the time, Antonio Otero, who's from Puerto Rico originally, um, brought literature into our program because at the time that's what we assessed for the AP exam. And he would bring these Hispanias for us to look at and to look at literature and to be able to cite text. And it was just, and from that point on, I just thought, this is a really cool group. Yes. And so we did poetry reading contests. We did other fun things that brought us together. So the sponsorship of ATSP probably is at my heart. I really enjoy Fulta Indiana Foreign Language Teachers Association because that's the mother that holds all yes. the ATs. And they are very important. Yes, IFLTA, is, it is a wonderful group. And, and it always has been. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's always been a very, very uh, positive thinking, forward-looking yeah. group of people. And, and as we um, extend IFLTA out to central states, I have to say what I really like about central states, the friendly conferences they're noted for, is the fact now you see 14 Midwestern states together. And the brainstorming and the networking of ideas is incredible. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, just getting to know people from the other parts of the United States within our region has been phenomenal over the last 30 years. Now, what about... Uh, 
What do you tell the students about reasons to, for example, reasons to study a world language today? Do you have a uh, do you have a list you give them? Do you just kind of uh, go off the cuff? <laughs> well, I basically tell them I live it. If you're going to learn a world language, and I know the students go in because they've been told they have to get the credits or they have to have it for a graduation requirement, I ask them to consider, well, you have an English class because you need to, to be proficient in your first language. And if this is your second language, you need to understand why not make it be a language that's viable. So let's make the language work. Let's make it language function. Um, learning Spanish today is not just about Spanish in itself. It's about learning something using Spanish to get to that goal. So it's important when I'm planning my lessons and, and anybody who's working with me that our goals of study are about getting to know more about people. And to me, this is all about human relations and developing mm -hmm. um, that relevance and connection and a rigor to be able to get them to the next level of learning and understanding how they communicate with other adults or, to, or people of their own age or younger. Because Spanish is spoken everywhere in the United States and they absolutely. need to be able to appreciate yes, that. It absolutely is. Um, what about the um, techniques for teaching? What would you say to a new teacher entering the profession mm -hmm. as to what are some of the best techniques uh, that you have? Well, techniques are going to be maybe methods and tools that first uh, primarily work for you, that they speak to who you are as an individual. I mean, teaching for me is my vocation. This is what I do on the planet, is to help others be better learners, be better communicators, and be better people to other people. So if I'm going to do that, I have to have an eclectic approach because my student body is highly diverse. You can't use just one method. There is no such thing as one perfect method, or it already be marketed out there. People claim that they have it. But for me, you teach Spanish through using Spanish. If you don't have an audience who can manage that 100% in the class or even 50% in the class, you make it very clear what you're doing in hopes that every time, every day, we speak a little bit more Spanish as we come together. Um, students know, for me, it's about performance and function and making it real. So my students don't always learn the typical things they might learn in another classroom. They, in order to move around my room, they have to ask me permission. They have to start with, me permite usted hacer lo que sea. And they learn, and when they don't know the word, they ask me. They figure it out. They go at it in Spanish as much as they can. They point to the objects of the things they need to do. But the thing that's neat, even if they didn't master a bunch of grammar rules, they can function in the classroom by the time they leave my classroom and say things and greet people and have nice conversations and be polite. Because I tell the students, you know, this is a whole nother culture within a culture. We're teaching each other how to be kind individuals so that we can be but that way. I know that you're a teacher of flexibility, mm -hmm. so um, let's say you're rolling along with a class and you see that it isn't going as well as you want it to. Mm -hmm. It's a very common teaching, right? We've been through this. <laughs> happened this morning. Yes, it, it happens. And it could be the day, it could be the weather, exactly. the full moon, the full moon, whatever. But things just aren't going right. Mm -hmm. So you have this beautiful lesson plan that worked in period mm -hmm. one, then in period mm -hmm. two, it's dying on the vine. Oh, we so have the sporting time. <laughs> what would you do in that case? Well, with my students who I can speak to them in Spanish because they know that's the expectation, I, I take a quick survey of the class. So I'll say, okay, ¿qué está pasando aquí? Porque nadie está respondiendo. Vamos a cambiar el sistema de los puntos que vamos a recibir. 
I, I mean, I'm sorry I'm saying that in Spanish, but I, that's what I just did this morning. And they, they go, no, señor, es que estamos bien cansados. I no dormir mucho. Well, yo tampoco, guys. I didn't feel the same, the same way. I wasn't sleeping. But I am making every effort to let you know I still care, and I'm here, and you need to show me you care. But and what about that, that? those two or three so, students that still don't respond okay, so what or I don't do, even speak right? So and, I, and, and look like they're ready to, to just... Uh, Either fall asleep or uh -huh. come up uh -huh. fighting, right? Right. Well, what I do is I. What you don't want to do is put some kid on the spot. You don't want to make them feel horrible because they had a bad day. I could tell in one case the girl something wrong had happened in her family. The last thing I do is going to antagonize a student and make them speak or do a bunch of sentence repetitions when they're not fully there with me. What I will do generally is ask class to stand up. And we'll do some exercise. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll put on some music. Um, I might ask him to sing your favorite song of the moment. We're going to just move. Right. Take a brain right. break. And the brain breaks are important. you got to do that. Or, or Now, do you, um, do you do the, um, this idea of positivity mm -hmm. in the classroom? How do, you, how do you motivate somebody? And how do you make, make them interested in learning? Uh, from a psychological standpoint, mm -hmm. and a, a lot of teachers, and I know you probably do this already. I'm sure you do, but uh, you do it by by uh, just a reaction. Mm -hmm. And you've done this so long, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember <laughs> my day sometimes after I got to the sixth class during the day, right? Which Spanish teachers are famous for getting <laughs> six <laughs> classes a day, which uh, was really a trip. So you get to that six-period class, but you knew exactly what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. You knew exactly what Juan, Juan or Jose back in the back was going to do if they were in the last period of class. Either they were too tired, and they would just probably lay down and put their head down, and you had to figure some way out mm -hmm. to get them to at least lift their head up and act interested or try to be interested. Yeah. And um, how do you, what do you do in those cases? Well, positivity, though. Okay. You want to be positive, sure, right? Sure, sure, sure. Well, first of all, it doesn't happen just on one day. It's no. a set of rules and practices you put on place from the very beginning. So my students are used to hearing lots of positive um, appraisal because that's what we do every time something's good going on anyway. So you got a lot of excelente, fenomenal, Mira, fabuloso, muy bien. Aplauso, aplauso. Después de cada persona que hace sus preguntas animador, de ayudante. We have a lot of, um, my classroom space is very mobile. So I'm not always in the front of the room. In fact, when mm -hmm. I have students who are leading class in whatever review we need, or just to get them or their, their warm-up questions, the trivia, I'm in the back of the room walking around, I'm sitting down in an empty chair, putting my elbow up against the student who's kind of snoozing, and just asking them very quietly in Spanish, is everything okay? Did you sleep enough? Um, you know, will I be able to see you in about five minutes? Lift up your head. Um, you know, the things that we can tell are causing them from being connected to less and Right, and you have to be very judicious. Exactly, right, the, yeah. This correction has to be positive, right. but judicious so they, the, the student doesn't get upset. Yeah. And then... Um, how about humor? Does humor help with that? <laughs> sure it does. What do you do that's funny? <laughs> well, I make mistakes all the time. I trip. I do this or that. The students <laughs> laugh. Uh, or I'll intentionally, you know, do things just like d disappear. And then, uh -huh. where'd you go? Mm -hmm. and, then, and then I'll be behind the cart where the, the laptops are. And I'll say, where'd the teacher go? And they go, what's up? And you say, I'm just trying to get your attention. Oh, you got our attention. Or I walk out down the hallway and I start reciting something in it. 
And then I go back, hey guys, didn't you hear the cue? It's time to go out in the hallway. It's like, okay. And then you go like, really? I say, yeah, it's time to go out in the hallway. And we go out in the hallway and then, and then we practice some <laughs> practice drill, whatever we're doing. But I do things that they don't expect me to do. I remember one time I was in a, in a uh, it was fourth year Spanish class. And uh, it, was, it met at 7.30 a.m. in the morning is when we had fourth year class. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a cold day. I remember it was cold outside and I had a long sleeve shirt on. And in those days, you wore a tie and a white shirt. So I bought this new white shirt, and I put my hand up in the air like this. Put my hand up high in the air, and I was trying to make a point. Mm -hmm. And the students started laughing. And I thought, oh, boy. And uh, what do you think had happened? I forgot to take off the price tag on the new shirt, and it was dangling under my armpit. <laughs> Oh, oh, gosh. Okay. I mean, all these little funny things, sure. right? Oh, yeah. When you think of back on all the funny <laughs> stories that happen, right? Yeah. Um, so how do you correct somebody if they say, um, um, me gusto el libro? Uh-huh. And you, you want to be positive. Right. You so I would say, phrase them. Okay. That, okay, bien, que te gusta tanto. Okay. And I would say, ah, escucha yeah. todo. A él le gusta. So I would rephrase it. But you wouldn't make light of the error, right? You'd kind of I, would, I would just correct it without necessarily telling them that's what I'm doing and letting others. Because if you recognize it, there's probably a few other students who recognize the error too. If, we're in, if the mode is to speak and give out lots of information, expressing personal opinions, etc., and if that's the point, I'm not going to overcorrect their grammar. No. If we're in a, yeah. another situation where the accuracy mattered, then of course I'm going to. Now, what I have never understood by the emphasis on speaking, when we try to say that we're really focusing on speaking, and yet when we give tests, the written test gets 100%, 100 points. But our oral tests sometimes don't get half of that, right? Or maybe 25 or 50 points, but not 100. And I always wonder, do you think we need to put more emphasis on speaking and oral testing and less on grammar testing? Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, if we yeah. had an equal value, right. I always think this is why kids, well, we have a, a, a great part of our society still monolingual, is because uh, we don't expect the kids to talk enough and we don't give them rewards. We don't say, well, if you get 100% in the written test, you get 100 points on the oral test, right? Mm -hmm. well, and, and there are schools, and you've probably seen this, or departments, they won't do that. They, they don't like to do that. Or they say, well, you can't grade um, orally. You can't grade uh, specifically enough. It's with 30 people in a class. How do you do the oral test? And uh, how, what would well, you say Well, for, for me, oral practice, participation, what you do inside the class and outside the class is all being given credit. And so that's a daily part of our function. Mm -hmm. We we and I do give grades for right. their speaking participation. And, and in right. fact, we have something off of comprehensible input. One of the things I do like about comprehensible input, and I don't like everything, mm -hmm. is the fact that I time the class in eight minute segments. And so um, for a class that's about fifty minutes long, the students can earn up to six participation points that all students get to have mm -hmm. own because the classroom allowed classroom management to go smoothly. Right. We kept it in the target language, 
and students are then praised for that. So after every eight minutes, right, we have a right. special person monitoring that. So they know that talking and listening and using the language every day is critical. So for me to not give any value and grades for that, with an IB school district too, with our four criteria that we have, the last two are about speaking. So there is a 50-50 in that. Yes. And, and whenever we get ready for anything that has a writing component, mm -hmm. a lot of that preparation is done orally. So for me, I value the oral preparation tremendously. My students talk. Okay. Because I talk. No, I know they do, yes. So <laughs> the, um, what about the, uh, how many languages do you speak? Wow. Well, let's see. With some communicative success, English, Spanish, French, Romanian, I would say those mm -hmm. in particular, yeah. Where I can understand the answers. In now, why, yeah. why is the teaching of culture so important in language class? Do you think there's enough culture that is taught? In some places, definitely there isn't, I think. But in other places, there is. It depends on what the school district does and what it mm -hmm. emphasizes. But I always felt like culture, you have to do both of them at the same time, almost. It's very difficult to isolate mm -hmm. yeah. things. Well, well, first of all, remember, teaching Spanish is your delivery system. What are you teaching about? If you don't have a context, what are you doing in the classroom? And I would recommend anybody who's thinking about becoming a Spanish teacher, a world language teacher, you better know your language, but you better know the culture it reflects, or at least one or two of them. Yes. Because otherwise you're not going to be believable. The kids are not going to consider you as a credible source for learning. And so you ha and you also should know your own culture if you call yourself a culture separate from the one that you're teaching, but students need to understand that we move in and out of multiple cultures every single day. And they need to understand that that requires then a new set of practices and understandings. So if I don't use culture as the base, I don't sure what And I'm and it's a good way to teach the kids to be culturally sensitive, right? Mm -hmm. To tolerate yes. learn tolerance a, a yeah. lot. Uh, another huge thing that we need more of today in our society, I think. What about creativity? What what does that mean for you, creativity? Um, creativity, for me personally, is taking the several hours that I'll do on a Saturday or Sunday to prepare an agenda that in, delineates five days of learning where I love to put together lessons. Mm -hmm. I love to put together... Um, a scope and sequence for just a week at a time so the kids always know what we're going to be doing every mm -hmm. day, how we're going to practice. And if students can't be with me on a certain day, they know what they can do in their absence to stay on task and be able to follow where we're going. Creativity for me is making every piece of paper that has Spanish on it be vivid, has visuals, has a lot of good comprehensible mm -hmm. language that they can read, and maybe some English to help support them in my lower level class but to help them to understand that they're learning how to read agendas, how to have time management, how to be able to express themselves with their own personal interests, and we provide that opportunity in class every day. But the creativity then is up to the student to decide where they want to go with that language. How, how, who's going to be the person that answers certain kinds of questions because they're the experts in history? Who might be the person that loves the art and is going to do the drawings for the flashcards mm -hmm. or be the, you know, the person that's writing on the board? So for me, creativity is also self-expression. And for me, if you've got to give every student the opportunity to have self-expression mm -hmm. and to feel confident in what they're about to say and what they're about to share. So um, this um, idea of uh, comprehensible input for the listeners, uh, we talked about this a while ago before we uh, went on the air here, about comprehensible input, that this is something we've been doing a long time. 
and it's just perhaps the delivery is a little bit different today of, of what it is, but it basically means using the target language in the classroom roughly 90% of the time, mm -hmm. and little by little, bringing it into class a little bit every day, introducing language that the kids don't know a little bit and make them guess a little bit. Uh, that's really what it is. And uh, uh, you had mentioned that uh, you thought that the methodology was a huge part of this, so, mm -hmm. right? That sometimes we leave out how we do this. Well, we have to, I, to me personally, comprehensible input is using language. And so if I'm talking about Spanish in English, I'm not giving a whole lot of comprehensible input. So for me, it's about finding every eclectic method, because I'm a fan of Alice Amadio from the Chicago area, that she's been writing things since the 80s when I came into the picture. Yeah, for the listeners, Alice wrote this wonderful book, and it was called The Organizing Principle. And she was one of the all-time great books for teaching methods and strategies for teaching uh, world languages. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful book. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and, her, and thank you for that. And, and what she really rang clear to me is that you have to develop an eclectic approach that engages students and yourself in ways where language is being produced in a variety of ways. If you don't add variety into your lesson plan, you will lose the students and yourself. You'll become a bored teacher yes. and a boring teacher. So in comprehensible input, I think the point that... I'm glad you're bringing this up. This is, yeah. this is a really good point uh, that Luis is bringing up here, and it's called variety. Uh, and that means uh, you have to have a big bag of tricks. Uh, basically, right? Mm -hmm. And we used to call it years ago, we said, well, you just have your bag of tricks here. <laughs> and believe it or not, people used to do that. They didn't have a bag, they have a big basket, and they'd have all these little props in there mm -hmm. that they used all the time. And I'm sure people still do it today, but probably a little bit less. But uh, I remember, remember those days? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You'd have puppets in there, <laughs> and you'd have all these little games, and yeah. all the crazy things you needed, and and things you knew that would work when things got tough. Yeah. When, you, as you said, yeah. you have to have variety, yeah. and you don't want to lose the kids' interest. And yeah. and for you young teachers, that's the biggest thing you have to do teaching. You want to keep the kids' interest the whole time, or much as you can, and get them excited about learning. And that's really what our job is. Almost that to to me, that's almost significantly more important, probably, mm -hmm. than the content itself. Because even though you can go in there and you can have three PhDs, and if you don't have any techniques and, and strategies that you're not going to be teaching much, then the kids will turn you off. So uh, does that well, make sense? Well, it does make sense. And I think the important thing also remember, too, is you can't be the sage on the stage the entire period. <laughs> you have to let other students um, take charge from time to time. And you also have to have a lot of activities that function in a group setting. And even though in that group setting, not every single student will participate verbally, they're listening. They have to have a play an important role in how that group dynamic functions, and they have to show each other how they need to stay on task. And those are the things you teach students how to do, because it is not always about what you say, but you can give, I give about 10 minutes at the most of my time instructing in front of the class. And then the rest of the period is a combination of how we interact with each other, how we interact with text, how we interact with music, how we interact with just videos and all. But yours is a hands-on, if I recall. Mm -hmm. Yours is hands-on uh, 
and it's student-centered, mm -hmm. right? I try my best. Totally. Yeah. And, uh, and that's how I, I hope I'm still the same way I think I am, where I'd like the kids to do things, you know, and, and use language, but mm -hmm. for them to have to do things and not just sit there. Right. And uh, while I talk, you know, which is a danger sometimes that the teachers, we talk too much. Uh, and instead of letting the students uh, use the language in, in context and, and have situational things available. Um, the, um, one of the things today we talked about too is the readers and the comprehensive input, which is all great, good stuff. But we also have to remember to keep the other things, mm -hmm. to keep the realia, keep yeah. the, the real things from the country for the kids to see or feel, pass it around, mm -hmm. keep situational learning. You know, mm -hmm. you go in and buy some helado and heladeria, you go into the uh, supermercado or the mercado and you buy frutas and, and legumbres. So, but there has to be this situational part mm -hmm. uh, and the problem solutions. You know, we have problems and solutions with, with human beings and and other ways too to get to this language taught right mm -hmm. yeah and and there's so many tools as oh, you yeah. said yeah. and if we if we do that i have to bring a tale up about alice amagio okay and i'm glad you brought her up <laughs> i remember one time we were in Ackville, and i i think i don't know if we were in salt lake city i can't remember what city it was and dan, my son dan was with me and he was studying working on his doctorate in in, in foreign language education and uh, uh, I ran into Alice. Mm -hmm. She had a couple of her books by chance. And I indicated to Dan that Alice had written this book. And out of the kindness of her she gave him a copy of her book. Wow. She That's autographed nice. a copy for Dan. And I always remember that. She was a great <laughs> lady uh, for people who never knew Alice. And it was one of the greatest books. I still have a copy of it. And I refer to it. I look at it, you know, sometimes because... It's, it's still classic. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, one of those classic novels, almost like Cervantes, you know. Right. <laughs> in the Quixote, and it's about methods and teaching, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and we need more books like that. It's a shame there aren't more written. Uh, but, but Alice, that book was a once-in-a-lifetime book. Mm -hmm. um, now, what uh, teachers inspired you the most when you were... Uh, learning Spanish what people um, in high school definitely my my fourth and fifth year teacher uh, Tony Otero he he was just he was the real deal I mean he was a gentleman who was born in Puerto Rico his family mm -hmm. came to the Cleveland area I you've told me about him many oh, times oh yeah he came yes. to my wedding I was pretty impressed I, yeah. but he was a graduate student at IU and so he made did you the introduce connection. him to me at your That's wedding possible. I bet sure. I did meet him oh, yeah. I think I did yeah. meet him yeah. yes. his wife came too and yes. Um, he was just very profoundly passionate about teaching his first okay. language to others. And really, I tell you, he was very engaging. Um, he was funny. Um, he had an endearing I remember accent. you always told me he was funny. Or yeah, just humor. a good... And you, but, it was, but you had to really listen because he told the jokes in Spanish. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he also was, he was very elegant and he made it look classy. And he met, just went... You just wanted to please him Simply, and you yes, wanted to, yes. to do more for him. And he yes. also gave plenty of his time after classes uh, a, to help you get through. What about the college level? And college level, wow. 
many great, great professors. I mean, Dan, Dan Quilter, <laughs> of course, I think of Dan Quilter. Um, his Don Quixote class, I took it as a grad student, actually, and his applied linguistics class. He was my, the Dan, my son Dan's favorite teacher yeah, when he was just IU. Amazing, yeah. just amazing. Um, Pep Sobre from uh, Marcelin's Fame, right. who just passed away a few did years ago. Did you have Russ in class? You didn't I never did. That. No, no. I, Russ, um, Sam, Russ was mm-hmm. a great teacher. He was the head of Latin American Studies yeah. at IU. And, uh, Many, many, I mean, Mary Ellen Beter taught me more yes. about analyzing literature, especially at the graduate school. Was it Diane, was her name Larson? Larson. I didn't ever have that. You never had, Larson, you didn't have, yeah, she was an outstanding, yeah. 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 Um, so, um, what about uh, your thoughts on the world language teaching today? What's the good about it and what needs to be improved? Well, I'll tell you what's going to be very difficult is the numbers uh, going in the profession are fewer. And so right now, if you're interested in becoming a world language teacher, there'll be opportunities because we have a lot of people at the end of their careers who will be retiring in the next five years, ten years, and that's me too. And I definitely consider and think about my legacy all the time because I want to make sure whatever does go after me um, is doing the kinds of things that I've been doing for the last 30 years or I wouldn't be as happy as I am today. But for me, anyone starting off right now needs to be super solid about who are they. What is your skill set? What do you care about in life? Why do you want to be with a bunch of adolescents? When I went into teaching, I thought I knew everything because I was very good at the language. I loved literature. I knew the grammar. But that's not everything when it comes to teaching. And in today's environment, too, um, class sizes are always an issue. Um, funding is always going to be an issue. And so knowing where you might be today, you might be te- no. changing schools multiple times. Because the career path for a world language teacher is not as is, is sturdy. And not, not, not as stable. Not as stable. Now today, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I, from what I understand, most of the districts are three-year contracts. And they renew every three years. There's no tenure. There's no tenure. Track no, no. In fact... Which, which I do not still see no uh, plausible answer to why you wouldn't do tenure and what's the point of that exactly i mean i can see it if you were looking at this teaching as a business Mm -hmm. but it's not like a business exactly and you know if you go out and you have to sell 50 cars if you're selling cars you have to sell 50 cars a month uh you can see and do that Mm -hmm. and that's measurable but if you have to teach people and you have 30 people 180 people a day you know, maybe you've got 180 people, kids you're teaching a day. Uh, it's hard to measure all that business, mm-hmm. and it's practically it's impossible. That's why they had tenure in the first place. And the second place is uh, tenure, I think, was meant to attract people into the profession because you had a stable job. Right. And you could count it's on having a job. transparent, too. Yes. <laughs> you could count on having a job. That didn't mean that you shouldn't work hard. And, That's right. And the, uh, many of the people that I n- knew in education that were tenured people worked hard. They never mm-hmm. did not work hard. There were a few, but not many. Right. You know, and, but, and again, the option existed as well to get rid of those people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were course. terminated or could be. That's right. So what is the point of doing this? Other than the only point I can see is a budgetary thing that after 10 years... If you're teaching and you got ten years under your in in your experience, that they could say, well, you're getting too expensive. We have to mm-hmm. cut the budget, and you would be cut. Yeah. And well, and then they would hire somebody who had no experience, and would be a, that would be a downsize again teaching wise, 
and you'd be back at first base again yeah. as far as any depth of learning going on. So what is the point of that? Right. Well, I'll tell you, Tom, right now I would say as a young teacher, there's two kinds of teachers going into world languages right now. This is their second career or it's their first career right out of college. If it's your first career out of college, please, if you get hired onto a department, go find the senior teacher on that department and learn everything you can from that person. And I want to stop for a second. That's mm -hmm. a great point. Uh, this idea about senior teachers and the pe master teachers, teachers, master teachers, the people with 20 years experience, 30 years experience, those are the people you want to talk to. Those are the people who know all about the techniques, the teaching techniques. They've seen it all. And uh, it's like a, if you were going in to be a surgeon, you'd want to talk to the great surgeons, the people with all the experience. Mm -hmm. So you would talk to those people. Yeah. And I really think sometimes today, I, I, I think we get away from that too much. You know, we, we people even starting out, you know, it's okay to be confident, but I think you need to really, really pay attention to people who've been there and done that. Yeah. And listen to the voice of experience yeah, for young people uh, going into teaching and try to get a profit by listening to the words of people who've been there and all the experiences they have and what you do. Exactly. Also, I was going to say, if you are going in as a second career, then you have the added benefit because you have life experience. And if you've been using your Spanish skills or French skills um, in your previous career, then you're more credible to that student yes. who's listening to you. And that matters as well. You still may need the methods and the advice from those who've been there longer than you. But I guess the thing is, be, continue to be a learner. Continue to know that you're not done. And there's always someone who's had another experience just like you who survived it. Find out how they survived it. So yes, you don't, yes. You know, well said. Beautifully said. That, that's very good. Uh, what about world language today, the state of the study of world languages um, in the United States? Because uh, uh, I just kind of observe. I love culture and I love observing culture and people and here in our own country and all the cultures, people and things. But boy, there's sometimes when I look at our country and I say, why aren't we more tolerant of other cultures today? And to me, that's one of the big lessons that uh, language teachers can bring to the table today and, and really try to show the young kids that there, there's such a value to learning other about other cultures and people and how they live. Um, is that, do you think the same? <laughs> of course yeah, I do. I, didn't know. I, <laughs> I think right now what's, what concerns me about the United States is that we tend to let everybody come to us so we feel they're coming to learn English, so learn about us. But at the same time, many of us have the ability to get out of our communities, out of our cities, and explore others. You know, for me as a Spanish teacher, students don't have to go very far to use their Spanish skill sets. There are plenty of places here in Indianapolis where they could be in a near native, mm -hmm. if not fully experiencing a native experience in Spanish. But if you want to travel abroad, you need, you need to do that. Many of our, our, our European nations and those in the, in the Americas have had at least two or three languages in, in their studies in high school. And many of them know English far better than our students know Spanish. And they understand because it's a, it's a survival tool. It's something they need if they're going to be in business, if they're going to get ahead. And so there's no reason why we can't do the same. And to accept uh, the Latinos and the Afro-American people and, uh, and just a broad tolerance of everything to, that you get out of studying world language, right? Mm -hmm. It makes our life much more meaningful. Um, what about technology? Uh, 
I think you've told me once that you kind of mix it in, right? Yeah, there's a term you called blend blended in. learning. Blended in, yes. right. And I have to say, um, for the age I am, I'm 57, that, you know, I'm very proud of my age. I have no problem with that. But as I've learned education and taught and realized that uh, technology would be with me, and that probably came into my awareness about 10 years into my teaching career. So um, I have been very happy to have as many devices be a part of the classroom as long as they're not a distraction from what we're trying to accomplish in the classroom. Um, last summer, I took a, a computer tech course uh, with a number of my cohorts, um, colleagues in Washington Township, and we did it through Canvas. And the idea was to help um, bring special education teachers and world language teachers into the realm of what can we do that makes learning, blended learning through digital devices, appropriate and in enhancing what we already do face-to-face -face in the classroom. So we spent a whole summer analyzing the aspects, the methods, mm -hmm. and the concepts that work best for world languages, and we debated lots of them because there's nothing like face-to-face -face communication. But there are times when, when you have that very shy student, they can still express themselves, they can still share their knowledge of Spanish in a digital uh, environment. And just to give an example, uh, last fall I was doing a cooking show project and everybody had to work in pairs and they prepared a recipe and they had to do a show on their episode of Buen Provecho. After that was all done, then I had the students go into a discussions environment in Canvas and they had to upload their videos. And then they had to comment and watch the video clips of uh, four other groups and then write to them about their experiences. The sharing of those videos and writing in Spanish, oh my gosh, it was phenomenal. Yeah, it is. It and is. and it would, I would never have been able to see, and they were able to see real firsthand right. responses right. from their college. Now, your, your, your use of technology, though, I'm guessing, though, that you're at least 50% traditional. Yeah, in, probably 60. I would say 40, 60. 40 where the devices right. come out. They use the, we use the devices, they're mostly, it's their smartphones, uh, to research the um, most important fact of the day that occurred on this date. It could have been 100 years ago, 500 years ago. So I have students who are just dedicated to that. Other students that will look up the word of the day. And I tell them, so you guys have X number of minutes to find the following things mm -hmm. for me on your phones. And then we report back in our groups. And then See, that's a good class. use of the phone. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah, that's <laughs> we good. have a good that's time. Good. Share music that way, too. Yeah. Now, do you have... Um, what advice would you give to the young language teachers today just starting out? Be real to yourself and be really honest. Do you, this is hard work. I mean, you don't become a teacher if you don't love people. You, and, and the desire to put whatever you found fascinating about learning into their heads. Because you're going to come across a lot of students who could care less about you or about the subject matter, but you have to help them first care that you and show them that you care about them. Many students will not reveal anything about themselves to you until they yes. know you're genuine. And to, yes, you have to win the students over. It's a mm -hmm. well said, very well said, beautiful. Um, now, uh, thank you so much you're for being on the nice. show. It's my pleasure. And a uh, lot of thoughts there, a lot of great <laughs> ideas, beautiful. Uh, thank you, Louisa, for being on the show. And uh, we're about ready to say goodbye. It's um, been about 45 minutes and on the show. And I would like to thank you for listening to the show. Uh, the listeners out there, I invite you to come back and listen to the next show or subscribe on uh, iTunes podcast at Tom's World Language Cafe. And you get the show automatically comes into your email. Uh, the, ne the next show. The next show will be uh, Israel 
Herrera, who's the uh, pre incoming president of the Indiana Foreign Language Teachers Association, professor at IU in Bloomington, uh, who was the AATSP College Teacher of the Year a year or so ago. And he's going to be our guest next uh, two weeks from now. And then shortly after that, I'm going to have a surprise guest who's an author, Ben Corbett, who wrote this beautiful book on Cuba and uh, spent uh, quite a bit of time in Cuba. And uh, if you'd like to learn a little bit about Cuba, tune in. He has some great thoughts and, the, and uh, memories of what happened when he was there writing his book on Cuba. Uh, and then uh, later on this summer, we'll be coming to you live from Cuba, Havana, Cuba. And uh, I hope that uh, we're going to try to do a show maybe with uh, the radio station in Cuba and uh, with the, the program they have for teenagers. And, uh, and we'll try to get that going this summer. So um, thank you so much for being with us and have a great evening. It's uh, We're coming into spring now and at least we're not freezing to death now. <laughs> Some of these shows we've been on has been 10 below zero. So we had 70 today and Indy we feel like we're on the beach in a heat wave, right? <laughs> so everybody, buenas noches and well, bueno, vamos a hablar un poco en español. Vamos a decir de este evento esta noche que parte te ha gustado más. Que pregunta te gustó más? Que tema de discusión te gustó más? Lo que los principiantes de maestros deben tener en cuenta cuando van a empezar su carrera. Vale, muy bien, vale. Quiero que siga, que lo haga y que no pierda la confianza. Excelente, gracias, eh. Y estamos en contacto, ¿ok? Vale. All right, guys, everybody. Nos vemos. Que pasen una noche fenomenal. Au revoir. Y, y Arvidersen. Es, es, es correcto también, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And buenas tardes. Ok, buenas tardes. Ok, bien. <laughs> so we hit a few there, a few other languages. All right, we'll catch up. Everybody have a great night. Bye.